Okay, we're working our way through Acts, and um, last week we looked at Acts 13, and uh, this week we're going to kind of jump over to Acts 15. But Acts 14, basically what happens there is, um, you remember Paul, they're making their way through the island of Cyprus, and they have some difficulty. They're going, they're going, going right through the island of Cyprus, and they make their way back to the mainland, and they end up going up to a place called Iconium and Lystra and Derby, and all the way they're having they're having some success as they share the gospel, but as they as they kind of flee one area and into another area, um, eventually things get pretty bad for Paul, and he gets stoned, and they think he's dead. They, they throw rocks at him till they think he's dead. So that's the kind of the context that is just prior to where we're up to today. So let's open the word of God to Acts chapter 15. Verse 1 says, While Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch in Syria, some men from Judea arrived and began to teach the believers, unless you are circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. Paul and Barnabas disagreed with them, arguing vehemently. Finally, the church decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem accompanied by some local believers, to talk to the apostles and elders about this question. So I want you to understand the situation as clearly as possible. As the good news, the kingdom of God, about the kingdom of God spread from the Jews to the Gentiles, there were some amongst the Jews who weren't feeling very comfortable about this. But they weren't prepared to accept that the whole sacrificial system had now been done away with and the reality that God's love and blessings were now available for both Jew and Gentile didn't seem to sit very well with them you see essentially following Christ's death on the cross there was there was no more need for sacrifices because the the ultimate the, the final all-sufficing sacrifice had already been made in Christ so these men travelled to the centre of the, the new Gentile kind of mission, Antioch, and there they tried to convince the, the, new, the new converts, the new Gentile converts, that before becoming Christians, they first needed to become Jews. Do you see what's happening? Imagine being told that. Before you accept Christ, we need to circumcise you. And you need to adopt all of our religious practices and come under our laws, and then we'll let you follow Jesus. This was a big deal. It really was. This had the potential to, to split the, the fledgling church straight down the middle. So the church in Antioch, probably very wisely, sent Paul and Barnabas back to Jerusalem, accompanied by the, some of the local believers, to discuss the, the matter with the apostles and the elders. And they were welcomed by the whole church, but then, as expected, some of the believers who had been Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentile con converts must be circumcised and required to follow the law of Moses. There, there was much discussion and eventually Peter spoke at length about how he had seen with his own eyes the Holy Spirit coming on the, the Gentiles, making no distinction between Jew and non-Jew, cleansing their hearts through faith. And he finished by saying to them, this is verse 10, So why are you now challenging God? by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear. 
We believe that we are all saved the same way by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. The leaders in Jerusalem eventually sent a letter to the new believers all the way up in Antioch, encouraging them in their faith and saying, this is verse 28, for it seemed good, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay no greater burden on you than these few requirements. You must abstain from eating food offered to idols, from consuming blood or the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. If you do this, you'll do well. Farewell. Freedom, freedom was a big issue. The good news is that we are no longer under the law, but we are free. We are free in Jesus. Christ has set us free. So why would you ever want to go back under the bondage of a set of rules? You know, in the months before Paul and Barnabas set off for Jerusalem, Paul wrote a letter to the churches of the region of Galatia about this very issue, about the issue of freedom in Christ. And amazingly, we have this letter. We have the letter. We call it the book of Galatians. But it was a letter that Paul wrote at the same time about this very issue. So it would be crazy for us to look at this passage from the book of Acts without also looking at some of what Paul had to say about freedom in his letter written at the same time. So let's turn to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5 verse 1 says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So what was holding these people captive? What were these Jews in slavery to? Well, they were slaves to their own need to control others, to dominate others, and to be respected by others. You just think about it. Just for an example, as the pastor, can you imagine if I was somehow able to convince all of the uncircumcised men here to be circumcised? Just think about that, men. What would that say about me if I was able to say, you need to be circumcised, guys. Come on, let's get this underway. Can you imagine if all the men said, okay, if Murray says so, what would that say about me? It would say I have this enormous degree of power and influence. I must really be someone. That's what this was about. You'll be pleased to know I have no desire to have that kind of power. I have no need for that. I really don't want. But it would say something if that was the case. You see, those three, the need to control, the need to dominate, and the need for respect are amongst the most common needs which enslave people. This morning, I want you to ask yourself this question. What enslaves me? Ask yourself that question. What enslaves me? From what do I need freedom? Now, don't for a moment think you will find an answer to that question easily. From my experience, the things which enslave us are hidden 
deep within us, away from sight. And often the person least likely to see the chains is ourselves. If you're taking notes, write that question down and live with it for a while. What is enslaving me? And pray the Lord would open your eyes to the truth about you. Is it desire or longing? Is it the desire for a person? Is there someone that you are longing for a relationship with and you just can't have it? For any number of reasons, yet that desire is holding you captive. It, it dominates you. That, that kind of slavery, being a slave to your desire, can take on many forms. And I, I guess a very obvious one for us blokes is the desire for a woman other than your wife. But what if you're not married? You want to be married and your desire is for a godly man that will love you and be devoted to you. That is not a, a sinful thing to desire. That's a good thing. Yet you can be enslaved by that desire. I have seen people who've kind of been eaten alive by their enslavement to something that is in and of itself good. The same can be said of longing. That there is a hunger within you for different circumstances, a, a better career path or another place to live, and it actually just dominates everything you think about. You're actually enslaved to it. Over the course of my life, I have lived in a whole range of places. I have lived in Sydney. I've lived on the northern beaches of Sydney. I have lived out in the country at Little Hartley. I've lived up in the Blue Mountains. I've lived on the central coast at Carryong, I've lived on the Central Coast here. And let me tell you, from first-hand experience, no matter where you live, there are people who are longing to live somewhere else. The grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. People in the Blue Mountains say, oh, I just want to move to the Central Coast. You come to the Central Coast and there's people here saying, oh, I just, I just I want to live up in the Blue Mountains. Life would be so much better up there. Now, once again, not necessarily a sinful desire to have. But you can become enslaved to your longing for what in your mind is just better, greener circumstances. Another type of desire is ambition. The, the Apostle Paul, the writer of this letter to the Galatians, was a, he was a slave to desire, the desire for self-glory. He was. Another word for this is ambition. Have a look. In chapter, in chapter 1 of Galatians, Paul tells us a little about his prior slavery to ambition. He says, For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Can you hear the ambition in Paul's words? I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age. He's saying I was ahead of the pack. I was ahead of where most Jews of my age were. I was climbing the ladder of success. I, I was well respected. I was well thought of. But then Jesus turned my whole world upside down. And he set me free. He actually set me free from that. Do you think Paul was ambitious to climb the ladder of Judaism 
after he met Jesus? No way. No way. He was set free from all of that. In fact, if you look at his life, if you look at Paul's life from that moment on, from a worldly point of view, Paul's life was a downward spiral into what one can only call, if you look at it from a worldly point of view, despair. He ends up alone in chains and eventually beheaded for his faith in Jesus. Yet from a spiritual point of view, Paul was soaring on the wings of freedom in Christ. He writes the majority of the New Testament and becomes known as the apostle of the free spirit. It gets from a worldly point of view, it was this downward spiral into nothingness. What enslaves you? Is it ambition? Is it your desire to get ahead of those around you and climb the ladder of approval and, and success? What enslaves you? What about fear? What about fear? Are you enslaved to fear? Not just a fear, like say the fear of drowning, but to fear generally. See, many people are so afraid of being afraid that they almost shut down. They're so worried that they might end up somewhere and find themselves slipping into an anxiety attack that they gradually attempt less and less. They become prisoners in their own home because of their fear of being afraid. If that is you, please hear that I am not denying the reality of your fears. I know that anxiety is both a complex and a very tenacious condition to deal with. But you're enslaved by your fears and the Lord wants you free from those fears. Remember, Paul writes, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. What are you fearful of? You see, it appears that Paul was afraid when he, when he disappeared into the Arabian desert following his conversion. We know from what it says in Acts 9 that the Jews conspired to kill him. And as a result, he needed to be lowered from a, a hole in the wall down out of the wall to escape. And he, and he says in verse 17 of chapter 1, he says, Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. See, Paul was afraid. He was a new believer. And I can understand his state of mind. His ambition led him to persecute the church to such an extent that people were being killed. So, so there probably were some Christians who wanted him dead. You know, he'd had dad killed or a daughter or a son or, you know, killed, I mean, in, imprisoned. The Jews hated him because he defected and joined the very people that he was originally persecuting the church. I mean, he must have feel, felt as though he had enemies everywhere. I can understand why he was a fearful man. We see exactly the same thing with Peter. Exactly the same thing. Have a look, chapter 2. We read about what happened when Peter visited the Gentile believers in Antioch. Have a listen to this. He says, When Peter came to Antioch, Paul opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. And then he says, Before certain men came from James, 
He used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, when the Jews arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid. Peter was afraid. He was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. You've got to be circumcised. You've got to follow the, the rules. You've got to come under the law. And then he says, the other Jews joined him in this hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas, Paul says, was led astray. You see, they're all in the same boat. They're all living out of fear. The fear of man, what other people will think about them. The fear of being the only one to take a, take a stand on an issue. They were enslaved by their fear, but not Paul. By this stage, Paul has overcome his fear of man. Do you notice in chapter 1, Paul alludes to this, his fear of Peter and James and the other apostles? And that, and that appears to be why he went to the desert for three years. He was afraid of them, but not now. Now, now Paul opposes them directly to their face and he can say with all confidence, if I was still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. What enslaves you? What enslaves you? Are you afraid of man? Deep down, are you a slave to what other people think about you? Just like Peter and even Barnabas. You know, King David... King David is a great example for us here. I racked my brains and I could, I could not think. I could not think of a time when David seemed to be afraid of men. Even with King Saul, David avoids confronting Saul for Saul's sake. I mean, lots of times David could have killed him. But he says, no, I will not. I will not raise my hand against the Lord's anointed. As a boy, he had the courage to stand before Goliath. A man nine feet tall, a warrior from his youth, the champion of his people. David, as a young boy, stands before this guy that's that tall and says, Today, through the power of the living God, I will feed your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Is it any wonder that he is able to confidently write in Psalm 27, Psalm 27 The Lord is my light and my salvation whom shall I fear the Lord is the stronghold of my life the one I run to when I need refuge of whom shall I be afraid David's saying if God's on my side what can I possibly be worried about if God is with me why on earth would I be afraid of man you see, in David, we see a glimpse of the freedom that would eventually be available to all who put their hope in Jesus. It seems David was free of the fear of man, but was David free of desire and longing and ambition? I think not. Sadly, those things had a hold on him. So we've talked a lot about the things which can enslave us. But how do we find freedom? How do we find freedom? We need to come back to the foundation of our faith. You see, our, our salvation, our freedom is by grace. That is, it is a gift from God which cannot be earned or bought. It is free. 
Paul wrote to the Ephesians, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. I want you to get this this morning. Your freedom, your freedom is an inheritance. Your freedom is an inheritance. I want you to let that that sink in deep within you. And just like all inheritance, it comes through relationship. You don't buy it. You are given it. In Christ, the freedom to not have to control others is your inheritance. In Christ, the freedom to not have to dominate others is your inheritance. In Christ, the freedom to not be consumed by desire for your neighbour's wife is your inheritance. The freedom to be free from fear is your inheritance. Whatever is enslaving you, whatever it is, your inheritance is freedom from that. And so much more. Now this is not making a lot of sense yet. Have a careful look at what Paul writes in chapter 4. Because here he really unpacks this with a, a beautiful illustration, a picture. He says, what I'm saying is that as long as the heir is a child, he's no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. He's subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are sons. God sent the spirit of your son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. Do you see what, do you see what he's saying here? He's saying, imagine you're a little child, you're a four-year-old. You're a four-year-old and your father owns a vast estate. And suddenly your father is killed. Who owns the estate? You do. You inherit the estate. There's many slaves who work there. Lots of people are employed on the estate. Who owns the estate? You do. It's your inheritance. Can you manage the estate? No. You can't because you're four years old. But it's yours. It's yours. So someone is, someone is given the role of ensuring that you're okay, looking after you until you come of age. The person looking after you is kind of like the law. It looks after you until you come of age, until you can take over your inheritance. However, the reality is, in that moment, you're no different to the children of the other slaves. You look like them. You behave like them. You're a four-year-old. Little kid running around in the mud, just like them. But are you just like them? 
No, you're the owner of the estate. You're the one who inherited it all. This is what he's saying. When we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son that we might receive the full rights of sons. Now the choice is ours. This is the choice. The choice is ours. We can stay like little children who own the whole, whole estate, yet who are no better than slaves. Or we can grow up and walk in the freedom in the inheritance that is ours in Christ Jesus. And believe me, lots of people choose to stay as four-year-olds who own the estate for their whole life. How do we do that? I hear you ask. How do we do that? How do we find freedom? Well, let me just suggest to you, do not focus on the thing which enslaves you. Very simply, do not focus on the thing which enslaves you. If lust is enslaving you, the more you try not to lust, the more you will think about it. The more you will. If fear is enslaving you, the more you are determined to conquer fear in your own strength, the more fearful you will become. If desire for personal acclaim has enslaved you, the more you try to be humble, the more you will be aware of yourself. And the more proud you'll become of how humble you are. So how do we grow into this freedom which is ours as children of God? We need to come back to absolute basics. Let me suggest to you that every human being is hardwired to worship. It makes sense. You were created to worship God freely by your own choice. By free will. But by free will, we all have chosen to rebel against the Creator. That is what the Bible teaches us. The trouble is, we were made to worship. It is hardwired into your DNA. Now, I don't agree with everything that Mark Driscoll says. Okay? But I do agree with this. Mark Driscoll says, whenever, whenever, we worship the creation rather than the created. Sorry, rather than the creator. Whenever we worship the creation rather than the creator, we will be enslaved. But when we worship the creator, we will find freedom. Now you might be sitting here thinking, I'm not worshipping anyone. I'm just doing what I do. Worship has nothing to do with it. The porn addict is worshipping at the idol of pleasure and they worship the human form. It has been said that the most beautiful thing ever made is a naked woman. Do you agree, guys? Yes. But whenever we worship the creation, we will be enslaved. Believe the person who is addicted to pornography makes plenty of sacrifices to the idol they worship. 
The guy who spends hours and hours away from his family, chasing a a career in the big city, climbing the ladder of success, is worshipping at the idol of ambition. And he makes sacrifices to that idol every single day. He does. He sacrifices his kids and his relationships. And you can lose years of your life in slavery like that. Now, I, I know that I will have people coming up to me afterwards and saying, you don't understand. You don't understand. I have a mortgage. I have a, I have a mortgage and uh, jobs aren't that easy to come by. You don't understand. Oh, hang on. I know what it's like. I know what it's like to spend 20 hours a week driving to Sydney, driving to Sydney and back, and then having to work 50 hours on top of that. I know what it's like to only see your kids when they're asleep. I know what it's like to have a mortgage. I know what it's like (laughs) to have all of those other bills. But I also know what it's like to wear the badge of honour that says, I drive a thousand Ks a week. You wear it like a badge of (laughs) honour. Let me tell you, your kids won't see it like that. They don't give a rat's about you driving a thousand Ks a week. I also know what it's like to be enslaved to people's expectations. I think I've spent years trying to prove myself to people. Stupid thing is, some of them are dead. And have been dead for a long time. You see, ultimately, what I've discovered is that is just worshipping at the idol of self. It's actually about self. It's it's about pride and it's about self-glorification. I'm not saying it's wrong to have a job. I have a job. We need to have jobs. It's good to work. The scriptures tell us that, that Adam and Eve had had work and it was good before the fall it is good to work hard but if it leads to worshipping at the idol of ambition it is sinful and you'll be enslaved by it whenever we worship the creation rather than the creator we will be enslaved but when we worship the creator we will find freedom do you want the secret to freedom do you want the secret to living in the inheritance that is already yours in Christ you have a look The Ten Commandments. Commandments 1 and 2. The other eight you won't need to worry so much about. You just focus on the first two, everything else falls into place. It really does. You have a listen. I haven't got a slide up there. Very interesting. He says, and God spoke all these words. He identifies himself. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. So this is about freedom. I brought you out of slavery. And then he says, you shall have no other gods before me. Don't worship anything else. Just worship the creator. Worship the creator, not the creation. Second commandment. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven, above, or on the earth beneath, or the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God... I'm a jealous God. Worship the creator, not the creation. So the question is, what are you worshipping? What are you worshipping? If it's not the creator, 
you will be enslaved to it. So how do I know what I'm worshipping? Ask yourself very honestly, what do I sacrifice for? What do I sacrifice for? Where do I spend the majority of my money? Where do I spend the majority of my time? When I'm feeling flat, where I'm feeling down, where do I go? Where do I go? Where do I run for comfort? Where do I hide? When I'm under pressure, where do I turn for a release of that pressure? You answer those questions honestly, and that'll tell you what you worship. That'll tell you what you worship, and it'll probably tell you what you're enslaved to. Worship anything other than the Creator, and you'll be enslaved to it. Let me just finish with this passage from John's Gospel. You see, the Jewish Christians had been struggling with this truth all the way back to before the crucifixion, when Jesus walked among them. Have a look, John 8, he says, To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. In other words, just if you do what I tell you to do, then you will know the truth. And the truth will what? The truth will set you free. It's all about freedom. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants who have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we will be set free? See, they're deluded, aren't they? They say, We're not slaves. We've never been slaves. We were set free. And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Whenever Jesus says that, you want to listen. I tell you the truth, he says. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family. How many of us have sinned? All of us. You see the power of Jesus' words? Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son, Jesus, sets you free, you will be free indeed. My prayer today is that you would walk in the freedom that Christ has already won for you and that you would enjoy the inheritance that is yours as a child of the king and that you would not live as the four-year-old who owns the whole estate, who has inherited it all. But it says, no, no, I'll just be like the other kids, the slaves. Let's pray. Lord, I pray today that your word would have spoken to us and that by your Holy Spirit, we would have had those things named in our heart and mind. That you would gently have said the words that we need to hear. Lord, I pray for all of us that we would indeed step into the freedom which you have won for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.